and I get to follow that. That's what you were thinking, wasn't it? Ladies, thank you. One more prayer request I should have mentioned. My friend Madge is having uh, her doctor's appointment tomorrow, check up with her oncologist, a six-month checkup, and then some dental work on Tuesday, so pray for Madge. She'd appreciate that very much. Any baseball fans in the room? A lot of baseball fans. It is about to be underway. Do you recall, and usually I, I can't remember who won the game last week, but do you recall who won the World Series last year? The Cubs. The Chicago Cubs. And it was a big deal. Because it had been 108 years since their last World Series win. The last time they were even in the World Series was 1945. William Cianis was the owner of the Billy Goat Tavern. I'm guessing he wasn't a Baptist, but who knows? <laughs> there in Chicago, he would take his pet goat named Murphy to the Cubs games, back to the days when you could take farm animals along with you. <laughs> the goat had a foul smell, as you can imagine, and it bothered fans. So Cianus was asked to leave Wrigley Field. You know probably the story. This was during game four of the 1945 World Series that he was asked to leave. And upon leaving, allegedly, he said, them Cubs, they ain't going to win no more. <laughs> A tavern owner, not an English professor, okay? <laughs> and for the next 71 years, the Cubs did not win or even go to a World Series. And the curse of the Billy Goats was blamed for their luck. <laughs> Until... Go back with me 14 years. October the 14th, 2003. I was watching. The Cubs were playing well. They were in the National League Championship Series. They were very close to making it to the World Series. Perhaps the curse of the Billy Goat was over, the fans thought. So on this October day at Wrigley Field, the Cubs were playing the Florida Marlins. It was game six. The Cubs had won three. The Marlins two. All the Cubs had to do was get five more outs. It was the eighth inning, and the Cubs fans were just ecstatic. Mark Pryor, a very good pitcher, was pitching for the Cubs. He was pitching well through eight innings. He'd given up three hits and no runs. The Cubs were up three to nothing, five outs away from the World Series. Luis Castillo was at bat for the Marlins. He hit a fly ball to the left field. Well, let me show you what happened.
guy. You remember the boy's name? Steve Barton. Here's Steve Barton. Aisle four, row eight, seat 113. Can you imagine how he's feeling now? Anybody in this room want to trade places with Steve Barton? No. He had to be escorted out of Wrigley Field. They had to put six police units at his house because he received death threats. And his name was a bad word in Chicago for a while. Steve Barton became a phrase you know, the scapegoat the new curse of the Cubs. That night, the Marlins scored six more runs. Then they won the last game and the Cubs didn't make it. The governor of Illinois suggested that Barton go into witness protection. The governor of Florida offered him a place to stay. <laughs> When the Cubs won last year, you think anybody was happier than Steve Barton? <laughs> Had to be ecstatic. I'm going to give you the definition of a scapegoat. Someone blamed for the faults of others. Someone blamed for the faults of others. Steve Barton literally was blamed for Cubs losing. It wasn't that Pryor left a hanging curveball. It was Steve Barton. Before we go further, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to trade places. But you did. You trade places with us. To take away our sins. To cleanse us from unrighteousness. How great thou art. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Leviticus chapter 16 talks about scapegoat. That's where we find it first mentioned. It gives instruction to the high priest Aaron for the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the day once a year when Israel concentrated on their sin and they were forgiven of their sin. Atonement, the Day of Atonement. Atonement means reconciliation to make as one. It carries with it the idea of cleansing and forgiveness and newness. So Leviticus 16 describes what takes place on this solemn day. You've heard of Yom Kippur. This is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This is what we're looking at. So one day a year, the high priest, and the first one was Aaron, would go into the Holy of Holies just one day a year to offer sacrifice. It's a small area of the tabernacle, about 15 by 15, and it housed the Ark of the Covenant. You can read about that in Exodus. Leviticus 16 details what the high priest was to wear and what he was to do on this special day. Among his duties, we'll read this. 
He must take two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He's to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat, chosen by Lot to be sent away, will be kept alive, standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel, the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. So you get the picture. One goat sacrificed the other. Aaron will lay his hands on it and convey the sins of all the people to that goat. And then they let it go. And the people will feel cleansed. I pick up in verse 20 of Leviticus 16. When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He'll lay both his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he'll transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. So, once a year, everybody really looked forward to the Day of Atonement because, well, it was New Year's Day for them. They, it was Easter. They got a new start. The goat carried the sin. That's what they did. The idea is substitution. The idea is a scapegoat. Someone to take blame or something, in this case, for others. But they had to do it year in and year out. Because it really didn't last. About it, Hebrews 10 verses 3 to 4 say this. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin year after year after year after year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Not permanently. It all started in Genesis 3, 21 death having to occur to cover our sins. This is really prophecy and it's pointing to the cross all the way back to Genesis 3. Look what it says. After the sin of Adam and Eve and after they had fig leaves. In these, it says the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So an innocent animal had to die to cover Adam and Eve. And it all started at that point. The first physical death should have been Adam and Eve. But it was an animal or animals that died to clothe them. And that was the first of many sacrifices. If you've read through the Old Testament, you read sacrifice after sacrifice. Why was it done? Well, the animal served as a scapegoat for the sins of men. And there's some animal lovers in this room. And you might be asking yourself, why animals? What they do wrong? It's not fair. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't deserve to die. And that's the point. Because it's pointing towards Jesus Christ, who didn't do anything wrong. Who didn't deserve to die. They were an innocent substitute. And they were preparing the world for Christ sending, sending the ultimate substitute. Hebrews 9.22 about this says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. That's the way it works. 
Remember what Jesus said to the disciples at the Lord's Supper? In Matthew 26, he took a cup, gave thanks, he gave to them, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. The reason we're looking at this today is Easter is quickly approaching. And I want us to prepare ourselves to realize what Christ really did for us. <clears throat> Jesus on that cross was the last, the ultimate sacrifice. We don't have to do the animals anymore. But Jesus was defined that way. Remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him? It was an odd thing John said, but... It ties everything together. John said this in 129 of the book of John. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he declared, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sacrifice. Substitution. Scapegoat. To take away our sin. So Jesus became the scapegoat for us, for you and for me. As hard as it is to understand it is wonderful news. Galatians 3.13 says this. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Look how 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it. For our sake. Put your name there. For David's sake. For whatever you're put your name there. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness do you see what's said about you there? You have become righteous. Not self-righteous. That hurts. That messes religion up. When, you ever met a self-righteous person? Don't point at anybody if there's one in here. I don't want to do that. that. That hurts the cause of Christ so much. Well, I'm better than you, and I'm better than you, and I'm better than you. And I'm, You ever met one of those? And man, that hurts. What really needs to happen is all of us need to understand we're nothing, that Christ is everything and we're all in the same boat. Every one of us. We are. For our sake, He did this. If you've ever heard or you've ever said, maybe we all have, you know, God can't use me, God can't love me because I've done too much, I've been too bad, I can't be forgiven. If you've ever said or heard that, you don't understand the power of the cross. You don't understand the sacrifice, the substitution that Christ made. We must understand that Jesus took our sins away so that we can be made right. And that's the only way we can be made right. I can't be good enough. I am flawed. We all are. Every one of us. And we need a Savior. We need a scapegoat. And that's what God did for us. 700 years before Christ come, Isaiah prophesied about this in chapter 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. I could stop right now and have everybody come march up here and say, this is what I did. Anybody want to start? Okay, just trust me. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Talking about Jesus, the scapegoat, 700 years before Christ was born. 
1 John 2, 2 says this. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. You know what I love about this? There's not a parenthesis that says, unless of course you've done this. Or unless of course you've done that. It doesn't say that. Unless of course you're from here. Unless of course you're from It doesn't say that. What's it say? It's for who? The whole world. Hebrews 10, 10. And it is by God's will that we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, period. I don't know how you felt this morning. Sanctified? Righteous? Justified? Atoned? Well, you are. If you're in Christ, you are. So as you get ready for Easter, Know that Jesus willingly became the scapegoat for not just your sins and my sins, but the sins of the whole world. That is hard to imagine. If you put Steve Barkman back up there, we didn't want to substitute with him. And all he did was allegedly mess up a baseball game. Can you imagine what Christ went through when he substituted for Steve Barton and David Shivers and put your name in the blank? All people through all time. So how do we respond? Now that we've heard this, hopefully we understand it a little bit better that Jesus, I think the worst things he did, Jesus took them away. How do we respond? What do we do? Romans 5 gives us some instruction. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. You might substitute yourself for your grandchildren or your husband or your wife, somebody you really love. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners at our worst. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from condemnation. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're free from condemnation. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God says. So if you've asked Christ into your life and you're carrying an anchor with you, get rid of it because it's not necessary. And since we have been made right in God's sight from the, by the blood of Christ, He'll certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So here's how to respond, verse 11. So now we can rejoice. Rejoice. 
in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Remember what Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will do what? You are free. As Easter comes, you celebrate that. That's the best news I could possibly.